Mountain Dog, Alice Fine Hunts, and welcome to the Comic Trope. I'm sitting in a small, pixelated room, my health at 25, bloodied and battered, surrounded by Nazi soldiers. We're here to talk about comics. <laughs> Is that better than the last ones? I feel like that sounds pretty good. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm standing by waiting to punch a trash can to see if a cheeseburger falls out <laughs> so we can restore our health. There are many walls that actually aren't walls. If you walk through them, you will find guns, ammo, and armor. Yeah, absolutely. We just got back from uh, Oak City Comic Con in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm here with uh, Smiling Dave, Sequoia, Amos, and my name is Blake, not to be confused with Blake Stone, another bad video game. <laughs> because... I don't know, I got nothing. But let's do some uh, let's do some icebreakers and talk about the best uh, costumed character person we saw at uh, Oak City Comic Con. Let's start with uh, Sequoia. Uh, my my favorite costume was the family that dressed up as characters from Tim Burton's movie Beetlejuice. The dad was Beetlejuice. The mom was. Uh, the receptionist from the, uh, from the Underworld and the daughter was in the red wedding dress dressed as Lydia. I thought that was the cutest cosplay I saw the whole convention. That was pretty good. <clears throat> Dave, what about you? What There's you a like? real fine line between sexy cosplay and uh, blinding cosplay. <laughs> and I got, <laughs> I I got blinded pretty early on by a woman who was dressed up as, uh, like, I guess more recent Miss Marvel. And uh, with, with kind of like the thin cut, like black unitard piece, right? And she had, you know, her ass cheeks hanging out the back of it. And I almost had to get a cane for the rest of the, uh, <laughs> the, the convention could tap around on. It was, it was pretty intense. That was my favorite because I, I got to give her commendation on just putting that on this morning and walking straight out the front door. I will say that the worst is always the best. Mine's in the same vein as that. And it's uh, Fat Spider-Man. You see him at every comic, like every con you go to. He's there in full spandex, moose knuckle and all. I mean, larger than me, and I'm a big guy, Internet. I am. And, you know, I wouldn't do that. So, you know, half of me wants to say, good for you, Fat Spider-Man. And the other half of me wants to stay say, at home. stay at home, <laughs> Fat Spider-Man. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if you want to say, you know what, handshakes, good for you. Like, go do your thing. This is where you can do it. Or if you just want to say, you know, I don't like you, fat Spider-Man. I, I will say, though, it's not normally a moose knuckle. It's more kind of like a smashed-up eclair. <laughs> That's too descriptive. I thought moose knuckle was just a known, like, thing. I think that gives it too much prowess. <laughs> I don't know. It is uh, Spider-Man. That's, That's true, yeah. Uh, I, I, I usually when I see that, that type of cosplay I just say to myself there by the grace of God goes I <laughs> they are far better human beings than I would ever be absolutely I wouldn't do that the only characters I could dress up as I told you guys is anyone that Meatloaf has played in any movie is who <laughs> I could dress meatloaf. up like. or just Meatloaf cosplay technically Meatloaf is a comic book character and there's that uh, Fight Club comic no well there's that but there was also uh, uh, the uh, he teamed up with the Marvel superheroes to uh, fight world hunger so that's uh, true yeah, his name is Robert just, Paulson. Did he just did he just hand out like slices of meatloaf? <laughs> no, yeah, he stayed home with breaded he, meat and he, do he you was get wrapping it, up a concert. Do you get it? And he was just saying to himself, like, man, 
I sure do rock, enjoy rocking out for the fans, but I can't give any more of myself to help fight world hunger. And the Avengers show up backstage, and they're like, hey, we'll help you, Meatloaf. And, uh, you know. The Avengers are all like, just don't eat so much. <laughs> oh. Give some back, Meatloaf. <laughs> Your cup runneth over. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's going to be Bat of the Hell 5, Cup Runneth Over. (laughs) What about you, Amos? What did you see Uh, that you liked? This has got to be, you know, sad, middle-aged, six-and-a-half-foot mega bat. God, it was pretty good. It really was a blue bomber. Why are we hating on stuff <laughs> stuff that we love so much? I feel like we should have gave better, more serious answers. I guess that's true. The Batman guy was pretty good. He was the armored suit from... Dawn of Justice. And I saw Steampunk uh, Batman was pretty good. At least the, the top half yeah. was yeah. pretty good. A and Joker at uh, the restaurant we ate at after we left the comic <laughs> That's gone. my favorite. That was amazing because there he is, just Joker <laughs> from Dark Knight. Uh, full regalia. I mean, it looked it was a fantastic cosplay. Makeup, yeah. vest, suit, everything. He just sitting there enjoying fries. Eating a Sweet potato burger. fries. Sweet potato fries. <laughs> you want to know how I got these fries? <laughs> Do you guys have any ale? <laughs> I'm a big fan of aioli. Aioli's delicious. He tosses it. He breaks a fry in half and tosses it down in front of a cup of ketchup and a cup of aioli. It says we're holding tryouts. <laughs> Not too specific. <laughs> you guys remember that movie, right? Uh, so yeah, we really enjoyed it. Uh, it's the first time that I've gone to an Oak City uh, Comic Con. Yeah, I don't ever, I've never been to one here in town. Um, and it's, I guess it's only more of a recent thing that they've been doing anyways. This is a, their third. It's only been the last couple of years that they've done Oak City. This is like their spinoff from the NC Comic Con that they usually have out in Morrisville and Durham. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. It was great for the kids, man. There were so many, there were so many children, teenagers, like everyone was having a really good time. Yeah. Like thirty to thirty-five percent of the people there were dressed up, which I think was awesome. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of comics. A lot of Deadpool's. Let a lot of Deadpool's. Too many Deadpool's. Too many Deadpool's. <laughs> That's okay. I, it was a very positive environment, and uh, I look forward to it next year. Let's talk about comics. Let's see. Uh, Sequoia, why don't you start first and talk to us about something you've read recently or a comic that you want to recommend. And uh, remember to tell us who wrote it and yes. what other stuff that person has wrote. Uh, written. I, I am not familiar with the other work that the, this creative team has done, but the book I was going to recommend is uh, Manifest Destiny from Image Comics, which I think is just a fantastic, well-written, well-drawn horror comic um and you know me i normally don't get into horror comic books but the premise is just too damn interesting to pass up the basic idea is uh the book focuses uh on the um westward expedition of lewis and clark and um sort of an alternate history version of that expedition but uh what you come to find out you know as opposed to just like the environment and uh the harshness of the weather and the land uh, the thing that's kind of uh, thwarting them in their efforts to move further west is uh, America past the colonies is full of monsters. Uh, all sorts of creatures uh, are just exist in the wilderness and are trying to kill them. And uh, it, is the, it is probably one of the goriest books I've ever read. And it's it just, it just the creatures they encounter are just... I don't know, horrific and fascinating, but 
I love Manifest Destiny is written by Chris Dingus. I might be mispronouncing that, and Matthew Roberts. Um, not familiar with any of their other work, but uh, yeah, Manifest Destiny. That is, I think it's about uh, eighteen issues into its run so far. I think um, the first three trades are out and available to be purchased right now. I think a fourth one is uh, is due anytime. But yeah, that's what's the art like? Is it like more? Fantasy, or is it more like gory monster? Or it's very clean looking. I'll say that very detailed. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know quite how who I would compare this the artist the artwork to. Um, I mean, you know, usually when you think of horror comics, you always think of like Mike Mignola, Hellboy type stuff. But no, this is kind of got a um, photorealistic quality to it. Um, you know, a lot of detail. I mean, you got to have it for the monsters and such, but. Yeah. Sounds good. I've been reading, as I know all of you are wondering, what has Blake been reading? Who, what publisher do you think Blake has been reading the most of? Hmm. And it's Marvel. I have been reading Legendary Star-Lord uh, by Sam Humphreys, Paco Medina, and Freddie Williams II, who also worked on the Black Vortex uh, and X-Men Black Vortex. It's... You can totally tell that this book was inspired by the movie because it starts off. This is a this is Star Lord as a child and how he became a space pirate. I think it's about six deep right now, and I would suggest it for anyone who needs a really easy light read. I don't have too much to say about it other than if you really liked the work that was done in Black Vortex, which I thought was a, a really good short run, really good space read. Because you guys space, space reads. Read. <laughs> you guys know how much I love space reads. <laughs> it's all I talk about. Blake's space reads. Hey, is it Marvel? Is it in space? Blake's reading it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's really fun reading, and I highly suggest it. It's not very deep, and it's pretty witty. And uh, do you, did you guys ever see the uh, Indiana Jones as kid movies that they handed out at Burger King? First off, <laughs> first off, that's called Young Indiana Jones. Yes. And there's like 27 hours of them, yep. and they're fantastic. They're good, right? They're so good. We're, I got all of them. Yeah, and they were they were from Burger King, what are kids' meals, that you would get them in the 90s. They distributed a, like a first couple of episodes where he's really young that way. Yeah. Um, but they Lucasfilm kept filming those right through like the mid-90s. They, yeah. And it's... They were really good. They're really good. And that's yeah. what this comic book reminded me of. It had like the same kind of... Feel really lighthearted, really easy to easy to read. It, it was kind of the same tone. Yeah. Those movies were great. Sean Patrick Flannery was uh, not so young. Indiana Jones, like River Phoenix, probably <laughs> that age. A river runs through it. Yeah. Over and now. <laughs> Too soon for River Phoenix. He died like ninety. I know. Now, I'm man. Just <laughs> <laughs> what you reading on? Can we all say that what at the same time? Amos, Amos what you reading on? There's, there's gotta be anyone who listens to this is like, wait, is there a guy named Anus on this podcast? <laughs> anyway, so what I have been reading that I've enjoyed is uh, the American Alien run uh, by Max Landis uh, on Superman. So, you know, he is uh, mostly a screenwriter. I think this is the only comic he has published. Um, 
He's had a lot of thoughts about Superman. Though. Yes, I was going to say he. Uh, I think <laughs> I think probably where this started was his YouTube video that's somewhat famous about uh, the death of Superman. The death of Superman and you know how that changed the way deaths are handled in comics. Uh, but yeah, so this is his take on that character. Um, it's not an origin story. It's not a. It's not an a, an arc. Uh, it's just, I think, seven issues. They're all one-offs, and they all tell a short story at from different parts of Superman's life, and he's going more or less chronologically. So issue one is Clark Kent as an eight-year-old, um, and then I think I think he's on issue five, uh, where Superman is pretty young, hasn't it doesn't wear the suit that everyone's familiar with. I think he's calling himself something Eagle. I don't know. Um, but it's it's a a different a very different tone than what you typically see. He's a very um, I guess modern sort of. His, he has a very fresh writing style. It's very uh, you know he gets dialogue that feels very realistic. So I like that. Uh, it's a different artist every issue, so it looks pretty significantly different every issue. Uh, so you know any one of them is easy to pick up and read, and if you. I feel like there are only three people in the world who still like Superman, so it's definitely for those people, but they're already reading it. Um, otherwise, uh, I don't know if it would necessarily get someone into Superman who isn't into him, but we could see if you want to keep checking out. I feel like we need to have an episode where it's force Blake to read Superman. <laughs> just make you read <laughs> Superman. And then I, I just try to defend why I don't like it. No, we'll, make you read, we'll make you read All-Star Superman. Yeah. I need to. Yeah, we talked about yeah. that last time. I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard he's dying again. I don't know. New 52 Superman is. Yeah. Oh. The rumor is, with this whole rebirth thing, the catalyst of that is the New 52 version of Superman. They're killing off, but he's going to be replaced by the Superman from the pre-52 universe. Wait, but isn't there... I also heard there's going to be, like, a Superman who had is from China. Yes. Supposedly, uh, with the New 52 Superman dying, his powers get redistributed to a handful of other people. One of them is, I think, Kenji Kong, who's the Chinese Superman, or New Superman, as they're calling that book. Then you have uh, Lois Lane, who's also inheriting some of those powers, and she becomes Superwoman. Yeah, so she got that. <laughs> they, they, they live together. <laughs> Osmosis. Yeah, it's like if somebody gets a cold, the roommate's on. I'm sure but, he, I'm sure but, he makes uh, her toast. But a lot of people are kind of saying that this is sort of a new version on the uh, on the take, a new take on the reign of Superman story from you know back in the '90s when Superman died, and yet for Superman-like people who showed up, rock and roll Superman, and uh, <laughs> new kids on the mechanic block, Superman. Superman, badass sunglasses Superman, cyborg Robot. Superman. Yeah. Listen, I still love Energy Superman. I think I said that last time. I, I yeah, think Superman every episode. Red, you have mentioned energy. Uh, that's the one Superman I like. Glow, the, the glowing, glowing blue, blue energy Superman. <laughs> I forgot about that. Glowing blue energy Superman or GTFO. Can I ask another Superman question since I know nothing about him? Go ahead. He's he's an alien. So yes. how does his powers get redistributed when just his whole planet was just super, right? Well, they, no, they're they not weren't super. There. They didn't all have that, those powers. It's, it's our oh. yellow sun that gives him our power. Right. Gives him his power. Yeah. And what's weird is when the ways in which his origin story is depicted. His his dad Jor-el, um, saying something like, 
Uh, like in the Man of Steel movie, you see Russell Crowe saying, you know, his cells will drink the yellow sun or something. So they know this makes them superheroes. Why would they not all just go to a solar system with uh, a yellow sun? I it wouldn't say I wouldn't stay on normal planet. In Krypton. Man of Steel, does he have an accent like Australian? <laughs> I, I heard you do a really good Australian accent. So, <laughs> can we hear you say that? We did really good with the night water out. I'm sorry, I had I had a lot to drink. <laughs> That's the only way my Australian accent. Hey, sales will drink from the yellow sun. That's what they cry. That is fantastic. <laughs> Crikey, he can fly. Yellow. <laughs> Look at that yellow sun. It can make him fly. Oh, well, he's boy's flying. He can't use riser blades. Holy <laughs> <laughs> shame. We're, we're going to get an email from an Australian person who somehow hears this. I, I know you're going to add this. I want to get a redo. I want to talk about a book that I am actually excited about right now. Yeah, man. So we talked about, about we talked about this briefly. I didn't want to do it because we've talked about this character so much, but Moon Knight number one it's came out this so week. So good. And yeah, I would be remiss if we didn't discuss it. It was a damn good book. Um Moon Knight, uh written by Jeff Lemire, who most famous is uh, most famous for doing work over at DC, Sweet Tooth. I think he did what Swamp Thing Swamp at one point. Thing. And uh uh, Animal Man, yeah. but uh, he's doing the book with the best Greg. DC hero. Yes, very good book. Jeff uh, uh, Lemire is doing the book with uh, Greg Smallwood, who did the second volume of Moon Knight that followed Warren Ellis's run. So uh, artistically, it still has um, a similar look to what uh, Declan Shalvey had done during that first run. But there are a couple pages and panels in there where he really evokes uh, Bill Sienkiewicz's work. Uh, who uh, uh, a very famous artist from back in the 80s did uh, Moon Knight at one point. These really sketchy, kind of creepy-looking covers uh, uh, for Moon Knight. But uh, basically the whole premise of uh, Moon Knight is that he is trapped in a mental institute and uh, has uh, found out that his whole career as the vigilante Moon Knight was just a, a schizophrenic fit or, or, or something like that. And uh, he's... Uh, I guess in communication with his um, with the god Khonshu, who's basically telling him that the real reality that he's seeing is a false reality, and that he has to fight through this illusion to reclaim his power as Moon Knight and get out. But uh, I know this is going to be a six issue art, but it's damn fascinating—a real interesting situation to see the character dropped into. Uh, it's great already. Yes. If, if it's. <laughs> And what's going to be interesting about this is it's going to be a six-issue arc that's not just glimpses into his... It's, it's not just going to be a glimpse into Moon Knight like the previous run, right? It's just going to... The whole thing is going to be a story. I think they're really going to unpack the entire history of that character because you see a couple people pop up mm -hmm. from his past as fellow inmates. Which makes you ask the question, is he insane... And actually making all this stuff up and it's all been or a lie. Or has he been placed in the place where his, his nemeses are as well? Yeah. Because he right, right. And there is this awesome reveal at the end that we won't talk about. Right. Um, just a rooftop shot that makes that just makes the book so interesting and just just awesome. So I'm super excited. It's by far the best number one Marvel's put out in a while. Beautiful cover. Oh, yeah. Very stark. Says uh, everything you need to know about... Uh, what's happening going into that issue. 
You know, it's basically uh, Mark Spector in a straight jacket with uh, cloth over his face and uh, a bloody uh, crescent sign on the forehead, kind of uh, a makeshift version of his normal superhero getup. So, that's it. I mean, the one time he fights, he makes a makeshift like costume to fight because he needs to like hide his like hide his human form or whatever. It's it's awesome. So pick it up. It's a it's a number one worth buying, and it's an expensive one, but it's it's worth it. Yeah. I don't know much about the background to Starlight. Does anyone here want to give us a uh, up to date? Well, um, Starlight is uh, another one of Mark Millar's... Uh, Millarverse. Yeah, Millarverse uh, creation. So, you know, normally Mark, he always... Mark, like I know him. He, he has a tendency to do these um, just kind of one-off miniseries. Just, he's, all about, he's a writer that's all about the big concept. He just has an idea and says, I'm going to tell this story. Uh, it's either going to take three, six, or 12 issues to tell it. But basically the big concept behind this is... Um, I think he said in an interview it was Unforgiven meets Buzz Lightyear. So (laughs) it's sort of his love letter to Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and those types of space opera characters. Um, So we have uh, our main character. Duke Duke, McQueen. Thank you. Duke McQueen. A little bit of John Wayne and Steve McQueen. uh, Who was a former galactic hero a la Flash Gordon back in his heyday. Uh, I think he was an uh, Air Force pilot who yep. got swept away, kind of like John Carter, to this alien planet and became its liberator, kind of like Luke Skywalker, uh, only to return to Earth, you know, after having all these daring Bad adventures kids. and, um... Slow down. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, just, uh, yeah just, oh. uh, no, I'm saying he... And I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Slow down, Koya. Sequoia, yeah. talking too fast again. <laughs> My bad. No, no, no. Just, I was adding in there that he slows down. But, uh, so that's the basic premise of the book. But the interesting thing about it, uh, if you've never read anything about Mark Miller before, you know, he wrote Wanted, uh, Secret Service, which some people know is the Kingsman. You know, all, most of his comics are, you know, have been opted and in a few cases actually made into major motion pictures. But, um... You know, his writings always had this this tinge that some people enjoy, some people are kind of put off by it. He's a very divisive writer. But, uh, you know, his, his previous work has always had this tinge of really uh, dark cynicism and kind of juvenile mean-spiritedness. Yeah, I, I um, might even say, in some instances, edgy just to be edgy yeah. in a lot of cases, which I think is that juvenile piece of it. Yeah, and... Um, this doesn't have that. Not at all, and I think it's one of those books, I remember at the time when it came out, took a lot of people by surprise because it was so different from everything he uh, he normally writes, and uh, it's a very, just wonderful, warm-hearted tale. And when I read it at the time, you know, month to month, I was expecting something horrible to happen. That's kind of what I kept, I kept waiting for the shoe to drop yeah. for, for Mark Miller to do his thing right in the middle of that with some horrible thing. And it, it gets bad for our, our titular hero, you know, here and there. There is peril. There is peril, but nothing that he doesn't overcome through optimism and camaraderie with the people that he meets. And that's that's not something you, technically, you typically get out of a Mark Miller book. So It's a wonderful, positive story where the where Duke is 
over-capable. Like, he's a very yeah. capable... That's what I thought the whole time. Like, he is so capable for a 60-year-old. He is such a superhero that, you know, it's very it's very Batman in a way. You know, mm-hmm. Batman is always very capable. He's always one step ahead of the bad guy kind of thing. And I think that a lot of people could see that as a criticism mm-hmm. um, to comic books in general, right? But somehow it made me feel really good reading this. It's like the because you you wait I'm thinking the whole time something horrible is gonna happen. It never does. And at the end of the book I'm looking back at it and I'm like, I enjoyed this more in retrospect than I actually did reading it. Let's jump back in and try to analyze it more uh, comic by comic and say that it starts off telling us that he saved another world. He went back to his wife, had a great life, mm-hmm. and it pretty much picks up with her having died from breast cancer. Um, And he wakes up alone and goes to her funeral. And uh, the paneling is really depressing in the beginning. He's in a shower alone, brushing his teeth, putting on the tie, like everything that you would feel going to a funeral, I guess. Uh, I thought that was done pretty well. Uh, I was not very... I am not very familiar with the artist who also did Y-Men, I think. That's the only one I read that he did. Um, Gor, Gor, is it Goran Parlov? Yes. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with uh, Parlov's previous stuff either. Um, but one thing I, we, we, I can say about the artwork is it's very evocative uh, of European um, sci-fi comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much a love letter to Mobius. Yeah. That's the thing I kept noticing throughout. Yeah, but it's just great. Very clean, um, well-paced. Um, you know, I think each page is roughly about, you know, four to six panels and then an occasional, you know... Uh, splash. Yeah, splash page. But um, really nice, very uh, French-looking stuff. Um, I really like... Beautiful colors. Oh, yeah. I really like the scene... Um, where they buy the younger couple uh, dinner, mm-hmm. uh, humanizing their relationship. I've, a lot of work went into the relationship between Duke and his wife, which really humanized him, and I thought it did a good job. It's a kind of a juxtapose of him being like this superhero saving a galaxy because as you're reading this the whole time you're wondering if he he actually was that or if he hasn't created all of this because he's an old senile man mm-hmm. well his, his kids think he's a joke they don't take him seriously you know and he's kind of stopped talking about it to them you know i think that was something that he used to tell them when they were children and you know to them it didn't seem crazy or insane or anything it was just like my dad's a superhero on another planet and <laughs> You know, now that they're older, they don't have time for him, and you know they're barely even there long enough to, to do anything with his his wife's funeral. It just is. I mean, shit. After the funeral, they're like, "Dad can't stay with me," and the other son is like, "Yeah, Dad can't stay with me." <laughs> yeah, either. his sons suck. His sons are horrible. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, "Well, look at how strong he is. He'll be all right." Yeah. Which I thought, I thought that was kind of. <laughs> Which, weird. if only we knew how strong he is. Not a star well, looking kids up. He's a, he's a pretty stout looking guy. He's not a, a feeble, fragile old not at man. All. Um, I will say one thing that I, I noticed about this book is there's a lot of themes that uh, have been touched upon in uh, Pixar films. You know, I mean, as far as the lonely old man thing, that's very much who goes on an adventure. Oh, yeah. That's very much up. Um, 
but and like I said before, Millar called this "Unforgiven Beats Buzz Lightyear." Um, awesome. But it is Buzz Lightyear, you know, long at the end of his career. Um, and I think the other story, uh, Lord, I had it on the tip of my tongue, is another Pixar story. That uh, oh, very much the guy looks like uh, Mr. Incredible yeah. from uh, yeah. The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's even got his little room uh, kind of um, with his costume in it and some of his weapons and you know newspaper stuff and just memorabilia he collected from his uh, previous adventures and such. So there's a, there's a lot of that in here, you know, which kind of helps I think. And the whole his whole saving the world previously is not presented us in all one chunk. It's flashbacks um, throughout. The funeral, and this is all the first two uh, comics, and he's fighting whatever bad guy he killed at the beginning. Tofan or something. Tofan like killed him, like caught him by surprise by crunching his nuts with his knees, and like <laughs> yeah, they're having a sword. They're having a sword yeah. duel, and he just straight nut punches him or nut kicks him. And then the that the next page threw me off because, like you were saying, the whole thing has this very classic feel. And it doesn't go too hard on uh, grit or um, I don't know, anything overtly negative. And, but then you get to this panel where he's fighting this guy, you know, way in the past. And once he defeats him, he just blows his head off yeah. with a laser gun. Straight up, straight up shoots him in the head and yeah. kills him. That's an interesting thing I, I noticed is like everything else in this story has a very classic, almost like... Uh, Star Wars A New Hope kind of feel very much like Flash Gordon, except the violence, which is fairly gr- gruesome. <laughs> well, and that's not a, a lot of it. That's though. a Mark Miller thing. I mean, yeah. he does not shy away from violence. In I saw stories. quite a few intestines. Yeah. <laughs> but not gory at all. Very clean. Yes. Yeah. Then it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, I like the... I like the little stories that are also told throughout the whole thing of like him fighting like Aquaman and riding dragons. Yeah. And like that. Uh, Mark, I see more of this planet. Yeah, you you're given so many glimpses of these past stories that you really hope that you're gonna you're you're gonna see it again or be introduced to it again. I thought that that was really good. So he creates on the one year anniversary of his wife's uh, funeral. I I suppose. Goes out to the grocery store, learns how to cook lasagna, sets an elaborate table, and then both of his kids forget. Who are not kids anymore, they're adults. Yeah, adults with their own families. With their own families. Totally forget. His adult bastard children. One of them like calls to uh, say they're sorry, the other one totally forgets and, and doesn't even. And then he's standing there looking at all of these newspaper clippings of him saying to um, news various media outlets that he saved the world from or saved some far off galaxy and it's it's equally depressing as it is it, amazing for him or you can tell that he has a lot a lot of positive thoughts from these previous capers but the way the reader sees this is more uh, he's a crazy old man looking at these newspaper clippings on the day uh, on the anniversary of his, his wife's, wife's death, yeah. and his children aren't there, so it's it's pretty grim, real somber, very somber, and then a cloaked spaceship shows up. Yay! Space adventures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
little kid with pink hair. Yeah, yeah, and essentially he just, you know, are you the Duke McQueen? Come with me. And we get whisked off in a way to uh, to start our second issue. You know, one thing I know is kind of an aside, but the bridge, the gap between uh, talking about this story and what you were mentioning before with the Star Wars comic, Lucas's mm -hmm. first draft. Originally, a lot of people don't know this, but before Lucas even attempted to create his own Star Wars universe, um, he had the intention of trying to get the rights to Flash Gordon, and he was going to try and adapt that sort of a remake of old uh, '30s uh, sci-fi serials. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did; he couldn't get the rights. De Laurentiis uh, got him. We know what movie we got from that. But uh, originally, his premise for uh, his take on Flash Gordon was going to be uh, Flash as the Obi-Wan character, this sort of retired galactic hero who's called back into service by a princess to rescue her. Uh, her king, her space yeah. kingdom from the evil, you know, tyrant or whatever, and of course, you know, that kind of got truncated, right. and you know, a lot of other elements added. But you know, basically, he made the Flash Gordon that George Lucas never did. Right. But back on subject. <laughs> Do, what's the pink-haired boy's name? Do you remember? Oh, Space Boy. Trish. It's something with a T. It sounds like a girl's he name. He calls him Space Boy, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's just Space Boy. Straight up, Duke sleeps on it. Like, he sees this spaceship here, he sees the kid, and he's asking himself a questions that a 60-year-old man would ask himself. Well, also, the kid asks, you know, we need your help, we're having problems again, can you come save us? And the kid's like, of course Duke would come help us, he's a hero, you know, he's a legend. Right. And so, the kid has this idea of who Duke McQueen is, and Duke you know, puts the kibosh on that real fast and says, I'm an old man, I can't go do this, I take cholesterol pills. But, uh, so the kid's pretty sad. But then, yeah, so then they end up, you know, sleeping on it and uh, Duke has a change of heart. I like the panel with him sitting at the made-up dinner table making the decision right. whether or not he's going to go into space and it's got all these napkins that are erected and, like, the salad is still uneaten and you know he's reflecting on that somber moment of his life now and what his life was off world and he decides to go help and I, I thought it was a, a really good panel to kind of show him thinking so he puts on that ridiculous ugly suit and it's like blue and yellow he kind of looks like a it's like a space swashbuckling outfit yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely very flash Gordon looking yeah, yeah it's very flash Gordon yep um, I was also thinking WWE. <laughs> like it's if you were to, wrestling yeah, if you were like a wrestler that was a a, a swords schwas buckler, <laughs> that that would be the outfit that you would wear. I don't think there's ever been a character in wrestling who fits that description. <laughs> what, what they, who is a swashbuckler? The swashbuckler. Yeah. No, never, never. <laughs> it's too difficult to say. <laughs> a swashbuckler. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Do we curse on this? I don't remember. Nah, yeah, I mean, sometimes we say puke, but... Uh... <laughs> we say puke on occasion. Okay. Uh, yeah, we swear lots. Just stay away from the big bad ones. <laughs> okay. Like friend. <laughs> the worst F word like of them nasty. all. <laughs> and Clint. <laughs> Which was a magazine published by Mark Millar at one point. Yep. Whoa. Damn, we're good at this. All right, so they go into space. He decides to fly. He, being Duke, decides that he's going to fly. He's like, ah, I've missed this. I'm going to fly. <laughs> when I'm reading this, 
when you read the first few, I read it as Duke being very incapable, and then you're given this person who is super capable. Like, you think of him, to me, like this geriatric, like washed up guy, and that's totally not what you get after like the fourth comic. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of, of Hook, right? Mm. And where Robin Williams' Pan character is, and the onset of that film, and the way that he needs to learn to fly and crow again. And a lot of this is, is him kind of getting back and being in the place, right? And, and remembering what it was like to be that person, remember what it was like. And a lot has changed. And I think that surprises him at first. And once you, you know, get into like issue like two and three and four, and you start really understanding the atrocities that are going on on this planet, you get a really good feeling, uh, kind of like he does in the story, for, for what needs to be done. And I think that sort of empowers him to continue his, his quest. Absolutely. End of the um, second comic is them flying into the world. And the first panel of the third, we're introduced to the Castle Without Doors, which, very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's just a cool name, right? It's just so cool. It has no doors. Why is that cool? I don't know. Why is it? Does it have windows? No. It's just open. Sand blows into this castle. They just have enough people clean it. To, to, to unsand it. What's the bad guy's name? He looks so awesome. Uh, the Kingfisher. Kingfisher. Cool yeah. name as well. They're the Kingfisher family, and he's the, the head of the this almost like mob family that runs the planet. What's the planet called? I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, you got me there. Something with a T. T-World. T. I got it. Here on T-World... Mm, that has a different. Uh... McCrory would hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> Here, everyone's free to use any bathroom. There are no doors. <laughs> Pee where you like. <laughs> the bathroom with no doors. <laughs> Tantalus. 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 I knew it was a T. The saying that saying that out loud is not as cool as reading it. Tantalus, welcome to Tantalus. <laughs> welcome to Tantalus. Come here. There are no doors. There are no doors in Tantalus. We see everything. <laughs> Can't peep if there's no windows. I feel like Tantalus kind of is like that for the, for the Kingfisher yeah, family. No, All they're ever doing is having orgies. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably not with each other. Doing magic while killing people that oppose you and then orgizing. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to me that like the I guess we're skipping ahead a little bit, but the the Kingfisher himself, the bad guy, like has no personality outside of villainous rule dick. this place, <laughs> and all of his family, his cousins or whatever the hell they are, are like you know let's just have sex and party. He's very different from the rest of them. He's driven. Well, he's, 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 he's got a giant bone that yeah, goes through his head. A big first mask of all, with a weird robe. I mean, situation. what? If that doesn't look sexual, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's difficult to get. It's a good thing there are no doors because he probably he looks run appropriate into them. for one of those eyes wide shut parties. Oh, I absolutely! <laughs> he was going to all of those. Yeah. <laughs> he does get kinky. It's just <laughs> off panel. Yeah, bicycle. And is this the episode where you see Bender? Did anyone else notice that? What? There is a panel, and it's. It, I think it's one of the ones where it's Duke's past adventures, and there's one where he fights the Robot King. Uh, it might be an, uh, a different. Uh, it might be a one. Super King. <laughs> it's where he it's gets the better place. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, he gets his sword, and it shows all his past adventures with the sword. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you see on the robot planet where he fights the robot king, one of the robots in the back is Bender. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, so we're introduced to King Fisher, and we're introduced to him in the Castle Without Doors. 
there is a um, someone who was from the rebellion about to be kicked into this pit that's just filled with dead people. Uh, we're introduced to Kingfisher's weapon, which is gloves, which are gloves that what just lift people up. What do they call them? They're telekinetic gloves. He can... Te- uh, telekinetic gloves, and he crushes this. I like that. First of all, I like that they have these robots flying everywhere that videotapes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Though I think it's weird that in the comic book he's like, camera seven, on now. But he, watch this, watch this, as I crush this boy into a ball. So he crushes this man into a ball and throws into a pit, much like uh, um, any dictator that's ever existed <laughs> in the history of mankind. I don't use telekinetic yeah. gloves. <laughs> well, mine is the telekinetic gloves. <laughs> I was trying to think of that movie Spartacus, like, I have Spartacus. Oh. <laughs> Then he 300. Kicks, yeah, oh, he 300. They kick someone who like in a in a <laughs> bottomless pit. pit. Bottomless pit rolls this guy. He really just like a bowling ball. He actually <laughs> he just just does some basketball moves. Hear the Nike, <laughs> hear the Nike sweep crossover crossover to the fade, and he's down into the 300 pit. What's weird to me about this one, uh, these panels where you're first introduced to the Kingfisher character and how cruel he is. He's also kind of weird because he explains, like, oh, these were very expensive. <laughs> I read that, and it made me think of Mr. Dink from the show Doug. Remember that one? Oh, he's always yeah. showing off his new gadgets to yeah. Doug, and he's like, these are very expensive. That's what <laughs> I, I thought of this, if Mr. Dink was killing Doug with his new toy. That's hey. an interesting role reversal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't get over this guy's bone mask that has like <laughs> earrings hanging from the side of his head. It's a pretty dope mask. It's the most ridiculous it's mask. Like you would wide. not be able to stand beside him <laughs> if he turned around quickly. Yeah. It would just smack you in the face. Well, what about the guy next to him with the giant collar, collar or whatever? Oh, huge Dracula collar. Yeah. <laughs> huge. He popped his collar and then some. It's almost Spawn-like. And oh. he's, he's fashion bald. Well, ever like since that guy can't remember, he's been somehow. popping his collar. Pop, pop, pop in the collar. All right, back to our adventurers flying around Tantalus. Uh, Duke is talking about how everything's changed, how there's so many more people. Um, Kind of something you would expect an old man to say about any city. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where'd all these people come from? How'd they... How's so many people living so close together? I really hope that's how Duke talks. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm Duke McQueen. I feel I'm like... old. Well, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I just... That's my voice for everyone. Well, I mean, this life. is very much him, you know... I mean, when he reflects upon Tantalus in his... In, in the past, I mean, it's a beautiful, yeah. you know, open world uh, with beautiful people. And now that he's come back, it's, it's like anybody... City. Yeah, it's, it's taken on a lot of earth, uh, horrible Earth-like qualities. I mean... Um, a lot of things you wouldn't imagine. Uh, I mean, to be such a you know futuristic sci-fi type place. I mean, it's a lot of really relatable things like you know stormtroopers hanging out or cops hanging out on the corner, people at home watching TV, prostitutes, pollution. I mean, I, I think that's the general old man fear is the place that you once loved just becoming a dump after yeah. returning. You know, after a long time being away, overpopulated. So. They, yeah, they're painting paradise and putting up the parking lot. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He uh, lands, as you said, sees a lot of hookers and a lot of bad things, things he doesn't remember the city being like. And then this is the first time that he sees this giant gold statue that they erected for him, and he just thinks it's hideous. 
and ridiculous, especially now, because he said, this place was better off before I killed Mustache Swashbuckler. I would have not killed Mustache. Our former king, Mustache Swashbuckler. It's very hard to say. MS. Duke finds out that by killing the uh, evil tyrant beforehand and leaving, it created a power vacuum for other people to step in and try to take over Tantalus. So I want to jump back to that point after we go through this all because, I mean, could it all happen again? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Duke and Space Boy walk by a mugging or not a mugging police brutality right. and of course Duke has to do something and it's pretty badass I mean he shoots a lot of people and impresses it's like everyone. crazy badass yeah it, it threw me off a bit yeah well, it's, it's, because he's so feeble right? right yeah it's designed to throw you off because I think as he's remembering his old strength you're just learning about it I mean you've seen the flashbacks and seen the things that he's, he's he was capable of but the whole time you're thinking like there's no way he's going to be able to take this guy on this guy's got telekinetic isotoners and <laughs> And guns. And guns. <laughs> Laser guns. guns. Yeah. You know, he's got a lot of... In, in a, a horn helmet. Like, there's not... Hashtag a, horn. Horn arrangement. Horn adjustment. Horn adjustment. Horn adjustment. And, you know, your your question is, is that is he, in your mind, is he going to be able to take this guy, or is it going to be a challenge? And then he shows you it's no it's no challenge at all. And you're like, damn, Duke McQueen? Yes. Duke McQueen comes Kicking back with another, balls. Yeah, yeah, another ball balls. shot. I mean, he's not afraid to fight dirty or kill people. <laughs> yeah. Well, as he points out, when he kills a uh, mustache swashbuckler and uh, who accuses him of of uh, uh, playing cheaply, yeah, foul play, foul play. Yeah, he basically says, "I'm from New York. Right. We do this on the reg. <laughs> <laughs> you should expect nothing we more than a nutshot. Nutshots on the reg, nothing less. <laughs> when you kick someone on the balls, then they kick you until they pass out. Rochambeau. Yeah. There yes. He Rochambeau's. We kick people on the balls in New York. It's just what <laughs> we do. <laughs> Uh, I really like the sound effects written out. Crunch and Shizak is used. Both, I think, have not been used enough um, recently. What There's is a great shot um, of him shooting lasers through Freaking police. Lasers. Freaking lasers and cutting people in half. Yeah, that confused me. Like, he's is he shooting a beam? Yeah, totally like, beam. And using it like a lightsaber? Yep, I okay. think that it's a, it's a long pull and a laser gun. That's yeah. a pretty sweet uh, gun. <laughs> just, yeah. Just a swath of... But it's not even a swath, because it's, it's a thin line. So it's not like... It does cover a pretty decent amount of distance. And yeah, just, I don't want to get into it, but I don't believe the laser guns. I mean, where does the laser go? It, I mean, you don't know about tan- Tantalus's... A Tantalian uh, <laughs> laser pistol? Tantalian physics. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> Laser guns are weird. That's the thing about science fiction that like there are a few things that like calling something like New New York or laser guns. Those are tropes that I usually don't get down with. <laughs> tropes. Yeah. Um, I get. I don't get down with a lot of tropes. Trumps. No. <laughs> Save that for another time. Uh, and then of course they have to run because they just he's took just on. He just killed a bunch of cops. He killed four cops and he's like, oh my god, yeah, we need to run. So they run and they do some more shooting and some more killing. It's kind and of a then, chase scene. Then the only time in the whole comic he decides he needs to catch his breath, he then gets hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like the most active he's been. There are more. T- there are more. There are future activities that he does that require. He gets in shape real fast. Yeah, he that, exactly. <laughs> 
I think well, Duke, he takes care of himself. I mean, yeah, he looks like an old guy. The guys I see at my gym who are like 70 and they're lifting weights and still got it. You know? <laughs> yes. Old man strength. Yes. Yeah. Old man strength. He's got, those, he's he got that old man frame. He's got those ossified bones, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I will say this, and, and this isn't touched on specifically, but I mean, you're, you're not even led to believe this, but one could assume that potentially... On this planet, an Earthling has much more physical prowess than a, a, a native. That is true. You could. Yeah. I think that you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, a Tantaluan? A Tantalian? Tantalians? Tantalians? I like that the car that Duke gets hit by is basically a space Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Or is it Alfa Romeo? It's, it's, it looks like a space Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Though, it definitely. Pino. It has the suicide doors, which is pretty dope. <laughs> and it's floating. It is floating. Um, because it's, you know, new New York. <laughs> Lasers and floating cars. All right, so they get captured, right? And they're brought into some tower. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a Tantalian sky gulag. Tantalian tower? <laughs> Tantalian sky gulag. <laughs> and they're met with, uh, they get thrown into a, a very nice prison cell. I will say that it's cushy. I mean, there's... It's very clean. Very clean. There's no urine anywhere. There's an Elvis impersonator. There's an, there is someone dressed up like the Fonz. Well, yeah. he's, a, he's an aficionado right. of, of Earth culture. Right. And uh, it was weird that of uh, the one thing that he asked him is about Tom Cruise and and Nicole Kidman. And Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's got to be. I don't know what Mark was thinking because well, because like, he says he's like, what's weird to me about that issue? He says. We're kind of on a delay here. Like, we get your Earth media through, you know, radio waves or whatever. Yeah. But it's like we're just on the 90s now, which is what he says to Duke. But why would he know that? You know, that would be, well, I don't know. In any case, in any case you can you can fly questions. a freaking spaceship to Earth, but you get you get all of our bad television late. Like, <laughs> what's up with that? Well, well yeah, like he, he just discovered Happy Days apparently, but he's asking about you know Tom and Nicole. So it's kind of like, is this information coming in gaps? I mean, or is it? Or is it just Happy Days was a much better show than anything that was on? Happy Days is probably syndication now. Yeah, yeah, true, true. He's wearing like dad jeans as well. It's like not even like <laughs> pompadour and dad jeans. Yeah, but he's a pompadour and, and yeah, dad jeans. It, it looks awful. Um, <laughs> and they're gonna get executed, guys. Yay! So, what do you think happens? Um, other than we're introduced to uh, Kingfisher's cousin for the first time, who has two hookers. He's, he basically looks like a Henry VIII impersonator, <laughs> just eating chicken. Yeah. Um, he's got... Gluttony. There's a lot of space babes in this. Um, a lot of naked space, space ladies. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but... Uh, well, we know that this is a beautiful race of people, because that's something that, that Duke enjoyed so much about it the first time, and that they're... Far more interested in like the pleasures of being alive rather than like you know dominating everything, which is what has caused them twice now to be, or potentially more. We have no idea what happened before all that. Twice now to be conquered by uh, forces from outside. Where are they from? The the kingfishers are from another planet. Starts with a B. It's not bitch planet. Or <laughs> they're not from bitch planet. Absolutely not. Weirdest crossover imaginable. Um, you might have heard of us from <laughs> Bitch Planet. 
We rule bitch planet. I don't know what that makes us. Wait a minute, so y'all a bunch of bitches or is there a lot of bitches there to be had? I don't understand. They're called like Boratrians or something like that. Let's go with Boratrians. That's what the Kingfishers are. And so they have come, they're like a, a race of marauders who have come to Tantalus and taken it over. Yeah. They, um, I think it's interesting that they chose to let everyone know that Duke McQueen was here. Because they blast out to everyone that we got Terrace McQueen. Yeah. I I feel like if I were a uh, dictator, mm-hmm. that if someone came back that gave anyone hope, I would just sweep it under the table. But you know what? Dictators be dictators. I think he sees this as something that he can use to demoralize right. and ultimately crush any hope they have because they're they're it's not like they've got something else in the wings like Duke and Queen doesn't do this for them. They're pretty much totally hosed if he can't come through <laughs> on this. How are they making all their money? I asked because I think they mentioned once that people are digging up stuff and bringing it to them. They're basically stripping the planet of its resources. Mm-hmm. Is that what's happening? Curtis, yeah. okay. Yeah. That makes sense. They, they've basically made it into like a mining planet and they're using the Tantilians, Tantilians as slave labor. Tantalusias. Tantalians. The Tantalians. Tarantulas. The Tarantulas. Anyway. So we're introduced to the Resistance on the last page. And they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to break out Duke McQueen and whoever else is with him. Yep. And uh, then we are off to issue four. And there's a lot of banter between um, Space Fawns and <laughs> Duke. They're just talking about soap operas. <laughs> Jukeboxes. Um, Fords. Finally Fords. somebody Duke can relate to. Yeah. 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 Which, which plays a big part in, in what what happens in this issue, too. It's, it's actually good banter. I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny and didn't feel out of place at all. I really like Space Bonds. He's a very enjoyable character mm-hmm. and very charming. It was, it was definitely a very interesting character to drop into this book. Yeah. And it was not expected. And it was kind of ridiculous, but at the same time added a layer... Um, of, con- of connectivity for yeah. you and the characters on this planet, and I feel that uh, I mean, and he has a part to play as well. I mean, he's he's the Fonz. He's the space Fonz, right? <laughs> All right. So they uh, they being uh, space Dracula. What is this? So this guy is Kingfisher's right hand man. He's like the captain of the guard or whatever. And he's weird looking. What is he, um, how, how can we explain him? He's bald, he's but has bald. hair. He has a fashioned mullet. He, he has the Hulk Hogan, as we like to call him. <laughs> Absolutely. He's like a coffee Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. He's gray. Um, is his skin color. And he's got the biggest pop collar ever. And he's definitely got a swashbuckle sword. I mean, he looks a lot like a mixture between like a, a, a Skeletor minion and uh, like a Power Ranger baddie. I think he looks exactly like The Undertaker, actually. <laughs> he, he, does. Oh, yeah. 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 he really does. If, if Undertaker had a Green Lantern ring. Yep, there yeah. you go. Man, That's, we just figured that out. Is what, his name is like Pindar or something like that. Pindar? Some of the P. Pindar the Barbarian. Pindar. Uh, so, 
Pindar the Barbarian is like... <laughs> giving just made a name. <laughs> made a name. He's saying, where are the rebels? Where are the rebels? And uh, Space Boy and also uh, Duke are like, I mean, I don't know. And then we are given a little bit of a, a, a slight backstory to how Space Boy is... Right. Um, why he's doing what he's doing. And why it was so important to him that he helped to liberate his planet. And it turns out that um, Space Undertaker, Pindar, or whatever you want to call him, <laughs> killed Space Boy's parents, right? Space Boy's, and this is not in, this is given a little bit later, but we might as well go into it all now, is that his parents were surgeons or doctors and were trying to save one of the injured um, dictator's cousins and failed. Mm. And when they failed, they were like, oh, we better leave before we get killed, get got. And when they got to uh, the bus station or whatever, that's when Pindar killed them. It was a Bruce Wayne moment. It was a Bruce Wayne moment. What, what? And then they were like, what do we do with the kid? And they were like, well, leave the kid. Let the kid do what orphans have to do. Right. Learn how to beg. It's cold, man. And then Space Boy's like, hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. And they're like, how? And then there's a shot of him, Space Boy, in front of the giant golden Duke statue. Yeah. And that's when he gets his idea to go get Duke. Right. So back to uh, what's happening right now. Rebels break him out before they're killed. Hooray. Jetpacks are on... Um, that's space fonts. Well, yeah, you know, you got to get out of the jetpacks, but you can't get out of Sky Gulag. Yep. <laughs> and they look pretty cool. They, uh, Super cool. Their suits, their space suits, kind of remind me of, like, Gundam or uh, kind of like the suits that the characters in Voltron wore. That's exactly. They're all, they're all sort of color-coded, yeah. and they have a very 80s anime look. <laughs> the art is not like that, but uh, their suits are yeah, reminiscent yeah. of that kind of thing. Um. Interesting that, you know, they're flying away, and it kind of bothered me, and I don't know why, but the leader of the Rebels, she throws a bomb on the airplane, and it reads, Jump! It's a magnetic bomb! I don't know, man. That's one of the only things that kind of got to me in this book. It's like, why do you need to... Why would they say it's a magnetic bomb instead of, like, Jump! It's a bomb! Bomb! And just eject, you know? Like, I'm a guy's about to blow up. I don't want to use a lot of words. I think I'd just go, ah! Yeah. Bomb! Eject. Bomb! Not, oh my god, dear. There's a magnetic bomb that's attached to this vehicle. Quickly eject. I don't know. Quickly eject. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's just like a small piece of exposition, right? Or not exposition, but a descriptive language just to give you an idea that this is not just a normal bomb. So instead of being like, holy shit, space bomb, it was like, everyone jump, it's a magnetic bomb. <laughs> I would love it if the guy just yells, holy shit, space bomb, and then he explodes. I guess that I would be complaining if she just threw a bomb and it stuck and I'm like what is that a magnetic bomb as I push my glasses up on my nose I could see myself saying that. how did it stick so, to the plane so easily I didn't explain that one too well did you yep um, we find out that Duke is a little overweight for the 
He can't fit the helmet on his big head. No, that comes later, but okay. he's, he's flying low to the ground because he's holding Space Boy in his arms. Well, and there's also that, uh, I believe it's in the front of the book, too, when he first gets his suit again from Space Boy. Yeah, he puts it on, he's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the scene in Incredibles where right, he's yeah. trying to put his suit back on and oh, totally. oh I've gained thirty pounds. Honey, where's my super suit? <laughs> he's also whatever that voice was. Frozone. That was Frozone for me. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they're being followed by the police, and there is a secret tunnel that we find out was built because the queen was having an affair with the king of the giant kingdom or something like that. We, um, didn't, we didn't explain who the queen was at all. Oh, I guess the the dead queen? Yeah. She, she, so she was the benevolent previous ruler of Tantalus. Tantalus after Duke saved the planet from the original swashbuckler dictator guy. And then she ruled for years until the current enemies the kingfisher family come they killed her and now they run the planet and we find out that the rebels are all of her guards women and guards men who ended up failing her and they're the ones who are heading up the the rebellion yep and so they fly through this secret door and they're in giant land are they called something else it's in the southern hemisphere, and it's called the Kingdom of Woods Giant. Wood Giants. Woods. That's a great name. Uh, King Atalius. None of this matters. Because <laughs> it's just a bunch of dead skeletons. It's just a bunch of dead skeletons. And they're giant. And, and they have cool armor. So, side thought. The queen was of normal size. <laughs> She's taller than Duke. Taller than Duke, but Duke seemed like a New Yorker who was kind of short, but like... <laughs> Let's say Duke is six feet tall. This woman was maybe six and a half yeah. feet tall. And I'm these looking at these giants, tall. and they're 30 feet tall, and I'm thinking, I get it. All right, so we're introduced to the Rebellion and their base, and it's pretty elaborate, and it's pre- it's much more badass than we were thought to believe. Right. They're not, Seems very they're well not orchestrated. Technically eating out as... And they have some Star Wars and uh, ships, I think. They're definitely Star Wars those ships. Those what Vipers from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of little call-outs to other oh, right franchises. There. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't see this internet. But <laughs> yeah. There Buy this of, book, then go look at it. There are a lot of panels of like throwbacks to throwback to like different awesome um, well, starships. Like, like you know, Amos mentioned the Bender thing earlier. It just. And Miller does that in a lot of his books. I mean, a lot of comic book artists do that in a lot of books, but just kind of throw those little pieces in there. They're not necessarily, you know, immediately drawn a circle around and said, hey, right. this cool, like, jam, but... <laughs> Wait, this is in the Futurama universe? <laughs> and Star Wars? I'm so confused. <laughs> it's nice just to see that. And of course, who do they want to lead the rebellion now? Space Boy. But Duke and Space Boy. <laughs> Duke but, and Space Boy! Um, which is... Expected, because and as they explain to him, you're a legend. You have to lead us, even yeah. if you're not the most capable. You're gonna be the person who's able to bring everyone. He's the mocking jay. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is the mocking jay. Wait, what is the noise? That's like Power Rangers. This is X Files. X Files. What is the noise? This is all completely over my head. What? What? 
guys doing? <laughs> the mockingbird noise. What? In the movies where they're like... Mockingjay. Mockingjay? From Hunger Games. They're like... Oh, I don't know any. No, definitely not that. I have no idea. Definitely Teenage girls that don't listen to this podcast's ears are bleeding. This looks insane to me right now, what you guys are doing. It's, they make this noise and then like it echoes back. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the mocking jay, the actual bird, because they call her the mocking jay. Who? The actual oh, uh, Jennifer J- 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 Lawrence's yeah. Jay Law, yeah. Um, Tootie Meats herself. Uh, <laughs> Tootie Meats? Formerly. Formerly. She's lost a lot of that. Yeah. Um, but there's an actual, they call her the mocking jay because it's the pin she wears, has a, a bird called the mocking jay on it. And she, to rally behind her, they have a whistle that is the the whistle the the, the song that Mockingjay sings. It's just like a tritone uh, thing. It's like something like that. Yeah, it sounds intimidating. Are you incapable of whistling? <laughs> <laughs> yours is yours is the way you guys yeah. know. Canadian whistling on whistle. a mic doesn't work. So even if I did whistle, all they would hear is. Seriously? Yeah. Somebody recorded that damn Andy Griffith song. Yeah. I know it can work. I know it can you work. Have, you have we, to do it with like a bowing. We have the technology uh, to, whistle, to record whistling. It's very difficult. I know. Uh, I'm a professional whistler, and we have specific mics. They're shaped like a reverse lips, and you blow into them. Suck it back out of them. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so so as I so this comic book. Uh, fine. Oh. So Duke is like, I'm a legend. He's legend. Let's do this. Yes. Then we find out that Steve McQueen, that uh, Space Fawn, Space Fawn, piece of shit, is a is a piece of shit. And Space Fawns was like, look at the outfit. Like he can't even just like call the the bad guys like normally. He has to be cool about it. Lean up his legs. And see that that moment was very effective because I like the character yeah. so much. You know when you're introduced, like, oh, I was like, yeah. The whole time I was saying, oh god, please don't. What was his name? Rudy or something like that. I think that was his real name. Like please don't kill that guy. I like him so much. And then you find out he's a traitor, and it's like that son of a bitch needs to die. Yeah, <laughs> McQueen. Remove his head. Yes. Shake him loose the mortal coil. <laughs> Very eloquent with the... And we've already gone over it, but that's when we get are given... After that, we're given Space Boy's backstory. And then um, Duke trains Space Boy a little bit, how to use a gun. Yep. Um, there's a good moment in there where uh, Space Boy's like, I want revenge. Uh, no, I want you... Duke, I want you to kill um, this Pindar, dude, or whatever Pindar for me. And he's like, I'm going to do one better for you. I'm going to teach you how to get your revenge. And you got to love that. Teaching a small child to murder? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a very... Miller is a very not not It works in Africa. It can work in space. All right? <laughs> <laughs> so I like that as is, a, is Duke as a McQueen, saying. Is Duke <laughs> if it works in Africa, it can work in space. <laughs> I mean, that's the cradle of motherfucking hey! <laughs> One thing we didn't touch on was how the uh, leader the of the rebellion today? is, uh, or resistance, is uh, a female Han Solo yeah, pretty uh, analog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of neat. Something you don't see very often. Yep, and she was the per- she was the guard. The head guard. The head guard whom was there when the queen was killed. So yeah. she, feels very, she feels like it's her fault that it happened. Yeah. 
And then the gas drops because the uh, evil police are coming. Horned, horned bad guys. <laughs> I like how Fonz puts in like something in his mouth and he can all of a sudden breathe into the uh, breathe in all the noxious gas. Here's another thing. Why don't they explain that? They just show him, but it looks like he's just eating bubble gum. And then he he's reverse breathe. whistling. So the recording. <laughs> he's actually calling his homies out on mic. And of course, the gas doesn't kill everyone. It's just dropping them so that they can be killed, thrown into the pit, and you know it demoralizes. Blah 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 blah. And uh, Duke's it's kicking outside. ass. It's also outside. It's a, a lot of gas. Yeah, it's yeah, a so ton of gas. Fonz is like, stop shooting each other and shoot at Duke McQueen. I thought that was weird. Why is there a big robot standing here that we don't address at all? Yeah, the, it, the Gundam just shows out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so he he runs away. Steve McQueen. Steve. <laughs> Sorry. Steve McQueen. Duke. Bullet. <laughs> Bullet. Uh, jumps off of a very high cliff into the water in which... Classic jump off a cliff, presumed dead water trick. Yep. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, he's got to be dead. That's water. Full of... <laughs> you know? And then, they, and then all of these, like, mermen uh, pull him under, and we assume that he's dead, and so does the bad guys. And... Hey, wait a minute. Do the mermen... Yeah, the mer, do they? I was trying to say if they look like the creature from the they, Black Lagoon. Yeah, they absolutely They're a whole bunch of the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> And no, he's dead. Merman lived there. <laughs> was no. there two weeks ago with my family. That's what we're hearing. Absolutely. And I, I like how... Uh, so the rebellion's been crushed. The rebellion's been crushed. King, I like how King Fisher like, accepts that. Oh, <laughs> he jumped into water? Absolutely dead. <laughs> he's, a, he's an old, frail man. And there's Merman down there. <laughs> there's Merman. Let me get this right. Uh, you guys were shooting at him. <laughs> he jumped into water. Many, pe- many of our people died, correct? Yes, many of our people died. Okay. You were shooting at him. He somehow dodged all of those lasers. <laughs> jumped what? into the water. He jumped into the water, correct? Yes. Okay, well, he's absolutely dead. <laughs> Maybe on Tantalus, water kills people. On Tantalus, the, uh, the buoyancy of people are, are so horrible that they just automatically sink to the bottom. <laughs> so they assume the it's water like is It's like in dead. Dark Souls, if you fall into water, you just sink. Yep. Literally, like every other game ever. Right, yeah, pretty reason. much all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> Let's talk about the comic again. Okay, right. Uh, all of the re- all the rebels are being walked towards. And they, they all think they're he's dead. Imprisoned. Yep. They're, they're, they're crushed. All hope is lost. Yep. All hope is lost. Kingfisher's pretty stoked. Kingfisher's like, hey, look at the ceiling, y'all. All of those swords were your swords of the rebellion that I put up there to show you that you have no arms, that you you guys have nothing, that I am I am all powerful. It's kind of an Iron Throne moment, right? Yeah. Iron ceiling, Iron Chandelier. Yeah, yeah, he's got the he's got the Iron uh, Shellac. No doors, but lots of swords. And then they're like, "Oh no, Duke will help us." And then Kingfisher's like, "He fell in the water. He's dead." There's merman down there. Why doesn't anyone understand what a merman is? The merman killed. <laughs> so confused. Head of the security is like, it just was water, though. And then, of course, King Fisher says to everyone, hey, everyone come party at the castle with no doors because I'm about to kill all these people. And then um, we are shown our duke walking out of the water spitting out the bones of mermen. <laughs> he slaughtered all the all the mermen are cut up. 
and merfolk because he had his sword on. And then we're uh, we're introduced to the uh, to the last comic of the arc. It's a little bit longer. It's like forty four pages. Yep. And what is good to talk about here? Oh, it's a pile of dead bodies. The first thing that Duke does is he gets real grimy. Yeah, he jumps into the pit where there's all the dead people because he knows that that guy who was crushed up earlier uh, into a ball had some kind of transmitter. Very important to talk to the people. So he yeah. grabs it, kills some people, <laughs> jumps in his Ford, and rolls towards the city, uh, the Palace of No Doors. Mm-hmm. And at that point, says... Um, oh, wait, so King Fisher is saying to a packed stadium, hey, we're going to kill all these people, and also Yay! Duke is dead. And everyone's like pretending... To be excited, we have all of the our supporting cast is noosed up, yep. about to get hung, and Kingfisher's like, I mean, what do you think? What do you think is gonna happen, you guys? You, you all are meek. You are nothing. You're gonna you're gonna accept this because I am Kingfisher and these are my cousins. And that's, as he's saying all this, that's his reasoning. <laughs> I mean, look at my horn helmet. Yeah, he's like, look at me. I mean, but seriously, that's what Behold. he's saying. He's like, everyone is meek. Everyone is weak. You are horrible. I am awesome. I am King Fisher. And he's recording this on those space. I mean, on those robots floating around that are cameras. And then Duke is like interrupting the feed. His face on the side of the Coliseum, and he's like, Hey, everybody, remember, I don't lose. Everyone, grab your pitchforks and help me fight. And everyone does. And uh, yeah, he, he rolls up in that sweet looking yeah, Mustang. His Mustang. He rolls up into lights the Coliseum and he, he light, yeah, lights his cigar. And he's like, "I bet you guys wish that you had doors now." What? <laughs> because all of all of the people are coming are rushing in to fight by his side. Yeah. It was such a weird setup for for that line, but I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, because <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a cool idea. The place with no doors, and then they use they use it again, which you don't expect yeah, yeah. them to. Which they we also never said why the place has no doors. It was built. The Kingfisher's idea was, you know, have, having a barrier between me and the people that I rule would suggest that I fear them, that I'm weak. So. I you know I don't have anything to hide. I don't <laughs> care. You had them doors right. Now. <laughs> so there are no doors, so anyone could come into his castle, but they're so afraid of him, they don't even go near his castle. But now that Duke has inspired everyone to rebel, they're all pouring into this uh, castle because there are no doors. And Duke is like, ah, oh, that was dumb. Turns out he just really doesn't like Jim Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the battles of no doors. And then of course, his the supporting cast, Space Boy and crew are still being hung, and they get hung. Right, right? so he needs to get there. Yeah, he would have killed them all. Would Because would have snapped whatever. their necks. Actually, no, if the noose is in the front, it snaps your neck. If the noose is in the back, you choke to death. So, the, oh, so they would choke to death. <laughs> um, and he, like, shoots his laser, and, like, everyone's freed, except for the one, like, blonde dude who's freed, but then, like, get laser, gets lasered in the front of his Yeah, And all it says is, ow. Ow! And then, of course, Duke apologizes, because he's a nice older man. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a distinguished gentleman. And there's lots of fighting going on. Um, mm-hmm. None that I don't think is necessary to talk about. 
except for the Kingfisher. This is where we get the most Miller of the book. Yeah, the Kingfisher versus Duke book. Kingfisher is more badass than Duke. With those hands. He's kind of a cheater. He's, Maybe he's stronger. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's more badass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Stronger. Roll up with a cool tagline and a mustache. He's kind of a nerd. More powerful. Definitely not as smart as we learned because he is blocking all of these lasers from Duke, right? Mm-hmm. And he is under all of the swords that Kingfisher put up there, right? Right. And then Duke, instead of shooting at him, shoots at the ceiling. And Kingfisher's like, come on, dog. I'm right here. Why are you shooting at me? Come on, dog. And he's like, I'm shooting at the ceiling. And then, boom, all of the uh, swords fall, and he has to hold them up with his telekinesis hands. And uh, Duke's like, I bet you can't do both. And then shoots him, and he's dead. That's awesome. That's such a good setup. Like, you don't even think, like, should, should I have saw the foreshadowing of all of the swords on the ceiling? Probably, but I didn't. Mm. Uh, I thought it was really, really neat. And then it's a hell yes moment. It's a yeah. it's a hell yes moment. And at that point, you think that um, Duke's gonna die because uh, what is that evil Undertaker, Drac- Space Dracula, or whatever <laughs> Pitar, whatever his name is, comes up, and then Space Boy shoots him, which is good for Space Boy because that's the dude. Very cathartic. Very cathartic for him because that is the dude that he, that he killed, killed his parents. He killed Martha Wayne. So. <laughs> And then, um, Space, Mrs. Space Wayne. <laughs> a few more things happen that I think we can kind of jump over. Uh, basically, the, the rebellion wins. And they liberate the population. They liberate the population. All the stuff that you would expect to happen, right? And but that isn't the warmest uh, thing to happen for, for old Duke. And Duke, of course, makes uh, the Han Solo analog. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah, and the uh, the people of Tantalus uh, award him with a medal for uh, saving their planet once again. And uh, I guess he leaves them in the hands of uh, the re- the rebellion leader, basically in hopes that they will be able to reestablish their government. That was good. And then something happened that I didn't think would happen that I really really enjoyed, and that's that when Space Boy flies uh, Duke back, he decides to uncloak the ship. And fly over, yeah. Fly over, not just his son's homes, in which his family now sees him as the hero in a space, like a a awesome spaceship. They also fly over the White House and then land. Well, Um, well, that was that was Duke's moment of redemption because you know uh, when Duke's in his trophy room, you see all the newspaper articles. That basically, you know, tell the story of how when Duke came back to Earth, you know, he's presumed missing, and the only story he had was that I got whisked off to this alien planet, and all this fantastic stuff happened to me. And, and throughout the early portion of the book, you nobody but Duke's wife believes his story. Everyone thinks he's crazy or yeah. delusional, and he's treated like a joke. Um, so that's his moment of redemption, where people will, it's, it's basically like the end of the never-ending story. When Absolutely. the kid yeah, rides yeah. off on Falcor, like, or uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Last Starfighter. Yeah. Oh man. A lot of that in there. So. Last scene, him at a full table. His wife's uh, his anniversary of his wife passing. Second full, anniversary. Second, second, anniversary. Yep, second anniversary. Everyone there talking about how wonderful he is, which is great for Duke. It's fantastic they all believe him. I still think his sons are shitheads. <laughs> Um, because everyone's like, oh, how great is he? 
Um, but I mean, you didn't like he him before crazy. when he was just like a your father. Now you like him because he's a space traveling father who saved worlds. So I still think his sons are asshats. He's shallow. <laughs> well, I'm sure he told those kids those stories when they were growing up, and maybe they thought it was cool at first. But once they caught on that nobody else believed him, they kind of shunned him for that. They all just thought our dad is insane. Yes. And then he looks up to the star, and there's a. He's smoking a cigarette that turns into the symbol of the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> Someone yeah, looks at this and goes, like, What? And uh, the last panel is uh, Welcome to Little Hampton, home of Duke McQueen. So he has been so, redeemed. So he's a hero on Tantalus as well as Earth. Yeah. Kill, keep, or reboot. <laughs> reboot. The reboot. Canadian pronunciation. Did you guys get that show up there? The little, the, the, like the original CGI animated show yeah. about the robot people or the the software people that lived in Virus Land or whatever. You never saw that. I used to smoke. Oh man, reboot. Oh, oh wait, maybe I don't know. I can't remember. Was that the one with the flying robot eyeball that had the wings of an eagle? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't, know. I don't know. I used to get high and watch that in the afternoons <laughs> in junior high. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, don't. I'll tell you who I get tired of. Speaking of. Recent Superman is, I feel like Lex Luthor, Luthor, whatever, as a character doesn't have much legs these days. Like, and I know that's you know, in a wheelchair. Oh, I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, among the bald white men of Comicdom. <laughs> of Comicdom. Um, I don't know. He like anytime he is in a modern setting, I don't like. His character is nothing compelling about him. He's he's a, I guess a sociopath. You know he can't empathize with anyone. He's you know one of the smartest men in the world, but there's just nothing. There's no color to him. You know what I mean? There's nothing interesting about the guy, to me. So static. He's, yeah, he hasn't he, changed much since his golden age. Right, yeah, he's one who yeah most characters have had to evolve in some way to feel more modern. Their psychological depth, if anything goes further than they did in their like golden age or silver age stories but Lex Luthor seems to at least what I've read and I'm you know I'm not a comprehensive reader so if someone knows of something where he's awesome please let me know but uh, every time I read him I'm like this guy's lame and I'm not interested in what he has to say so could go ahead and get rid of him you can see that Kill Lex Luthor. That's cool. I like that. I think my I think my very first kill was Superman, or Batman. No, my very first kill was Batman. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I just like killing people that I just like killing people people beloved. Like kill Boba Fett. Like again, (laughs) Boba Fett's the worst character ever. If you like Boba Fett, what's wrong with you? You like a character that got hit in the backpack with a staff (laughs) and then eaten by a giant sandworm. I think what makes him compelling to people is not what he is. It's just what he could be because you only see him. In the right can you know stuff that is now canon, he is barely ever on screen or barely ever says a word. But that armor looks cool. I think. That's yeah, I, I, love I think I think Boss looks cooler. He's a yellow. He's yeah, a lizard Boss man in a sweet. yellow flight suit. Like that's dope. And there's that man 
uh, Dengar with the giant diaper outfit. Like he's yeah. he's got to have some kind of a tail. Why don't we get all live about him? Well, there is uh, there's that uh, bounty hunters book that had a story about each one of them. Right. I guess that's not canon anymore, yeah. which doesn't matter at all. Yeah, it's really. still awesome. Yeah, you know, um, let, let let me go with that. Let me just say, kill both again. Oh man, heavy and, hitting every time. Right. I just <laughs> I like to take people's joy from them. I guess. Although I said kill Captain America the first time. Yeah, that is true. You like that's joy and patriotism <laughs> down the commode. Because I hate America. Because I hate... I Amos feel, hates America. <laughs> you heard it here, everybody. That's going to be the name Smiling of this. Smiling Dave and America hating Amos. <laughs> Anti-American Amos and Smiling Dave. What a weird superhero team that would be. Well, I'm going to end this on a positive note and say that we should... I would like the awkward relationship slash sexual tension that is between um, Sam Wilson's Captain America and Thor... The female Thor, I feel like I have to... Thoress. Um, in recent Marvel comics, is pretty good. Like, they uh, they have, like, this kiss when after they fight, and then um, Captain America is the only Avenger that knows of uh, the human f- form of Thor, and Jane, and she is uh, dying of cancer. It's a really good subplot that's going on right now. And it's a very strong one that what seems to be engulfed in a not-so-strong event. And I'm hoping that... I've been reading the stand-up stuff. I'm hoping it gets a little bit better. Um, but who knows? You, cannot, you can't really judge events by the first few comics. So we'll see what happens. Sure, yeah. But I really like that relationship. I would really like him to stay Captain America and her to stay Thor. Uh, but only time can tell. And we've already had that rant a few times, so I won't jump into it. But from us to you guys, the Comic Trope people, to the people who listen to Comic Trope, have a great day. Keep troping. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye.